Welcome to another episode of Making Magic with your host, Bradley Morris from Magic Media. This is the go-to show for purpose-driven creators to get inspired with innovative new ideas to produce your educational content, build thriving online communities, and turn your message into a movement. Good day, everybody out there in watcher and listener land. Welcome to today's very special workshop with Jeremy Enns, who's the founder of Podcast Marketing Academy, where he teaches brands and creators to hit their next growth milestones with detailed step-by-step marketing playbooks. He also writes the Scrappy Podcasting Newsletter, where he shares short, actionable ideas around how underdog shows can punch above their weight, and the Creative Wayfinding Newsletter, where he explores how we as creators can navigate the wilderness between us and our creative potential. He's originally from the cold, barren Canadian prairies, but has been traveling full-time for the past six years. Sounds like an ideal life for many creators, which is why we do what we do on the internet. So we have that freedom of lifestyle. And I know you just got back from an epic ski trip in Bulgaria. So thank you so much for making us one of your first stops in the digital universe as you've just been returning. Jeremy, Yeah, this welcome. is like the, the, the perfect reintegration, I think, probably from vacation mode. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Uh, thank you for... For being here today, I'm really excited about this workshop. I mean, I've been podcasting for years without uh, really any push to grow it. It's more of just been an outlet for me to capture uh, my own coaching practices and processes and to share some of those insights that happen organically inside of the coaching space more publicly. Um, and I know with magic kids, we're, you know, we're building something pretty big over there in the world of kids stories. So I, I personally am excited to have you here. And, uh, at the end of this, I know you have some upcoming workshops and, uh, groups that you're starting. So we'll get into those as well for everybody that sticks around. Awesome. So yeah. I'm just going to pass the torch to you. This is your stage and I'm here to support you in any ways that I can. And thank you everybody for being here live. And for those of you watching and listening in the future. Perfect. Um, I believe I need to be able to share my screen here. Oh, sorry. That's my trust issues coming up here. Gosh, this is embarrassing. Okay. Now it's yours. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to make you regret that and share. I don't even know what I'm going to have to find something really embarrassing. To no! <laughs> All right. So let's uh, get the slides up here. Everybody can see that. And let me just pull the uh, the chat up as well. Feel free to post comments, questions, things like that uh, as we go. And uh, we'll be happy to uh, address those when it makes sense. So uh, what we're really talking about here is talking about reducing marketing overwhelm and both how to do that as well as accelerate growth using what I call the EARS framework. And uh, this is something that I came by from, from personal experience. We'll uh, get into that in a second. But a bit of backstory about me. I've been in podcasting for, I think, actually, my two weeks ago was my seven year anniversary of getting into the podcast industry, the first podcast production client that I had. So I went to school to become an audio engineer, worked in the music uh, industry for about a year before realizing that that wasn't really what I wanted to do uh, as a living. And uh, if anybody, you know, you probably, I think everybody knows about the music industry is maybe not the best industry to make a living these days. Uh, I did not get the memo beforehand, or maybe more accurately, I was a uh, romantic creator who thought, yeah, it won't be, you know, I won't be subject to the the whims of the the industry and the global economy when it comes to uh, the music industry. 
But it turns out I was, and I realized that this wasn't really uh, something that I wanted to slave away at and devote all of my life and uh, energy and attention to, uh, which is kind of what you have to do if you want to make it in the music business. And so I kind of uh, exited out of that, took a year off, went traveling, got bit by the travel bug, and then found my way back into podcasting and online business almost immediately after I got back, which was uh, kind of everything that's that's kind of led me to where I am now. So I've spent the past seven years uh, running a podcast production agency and have more recently branched out into the marketing side of things. Because uh, if you are in the podcast industry at all, you probably uh, are well aware that there is almost nobody who knows anything about marketing. Uh, there's not much information available on it. And uh, I was kind of frustrated with that myself uh, initially and kind of thought, well, I, I better figure this out if I want my clients to stick around because they're asking me, how do, how do we grow our shows? And I was kind of like, always came from the, the perspective of like, well, you just make something good enough and it'll grow. And uh, that unfortunately as creators is rarely the way it actually works. And so I started doing a whole bunch of research and uh, have since fallen in love with marketing, come from somebody who was a pure creator, very skeptical of marketing. I played in like hardcore and metal bands where like selling out was the worst thing you could do. I like wrote poetry, still write poetry a bit, all these like things that are probably not closely associated with marketing, but I've come to realize that uh, there's actually a lot of room to have a lot of fun and to do a lot of good through uh, the way that we market our work. So that's a bit of my backstory. I mentioned before that I came across this kind of marketing framework uh, through my own trials uh, trying to promote my my work. And so as Bradley mentioned at the start, I write two newsletters at this point. I uh, if We go back to when this graph started here. Uh, back in May 2020, I was writing one newsletter at this time. And so we've got about almost two years here of uh, data or just maybe a little bit over a year and a half. And we can see that there was a couple bumps here. I was producing content every single week. I would send out a new newsletter issue. About halfway through here, I started a podcast and I was doing a newsletter and a podcast. Later on in the graph, I think it was November 2021, I started my second newsletter. So here I was spending, you know, a lot of hours a week on content creation. And my idea at the time was like, well, this is, you know, this is marketing. This is, I'm spending a ton of time on marketing. And yeah, my, my email list is, is growing a little bit, but, you know, 32 subscribers a month is not the kind of growth that I was was really hoping for. And so I was kind of, you know, at this point where I was like, well, something's got to give because, you know, I know I'm doing a lot of the right things. I'm getting great feedback on all of the content that I'm putting out there, but I'm just not getting the results in terms of growth that I would like to be getting. And I was getting people into my, my course and my business, but again, not at the rate that I was thinking that all the effort I was pouring into marketing should be, be getting. And so we'll look at uh, in a second um, what I did, but if we kind of expand the graph out here a little bit at that point, kind of over the holidays uh, in 2021, going into 2022, I kind of took a hard look at what I was doing and I made some changes. And uh, those changes have had quite a dramatic effect over the past year now. And so uh, in the first kind of three quarters of 2022, that, um, that list growth went up from 32 subscribers to month to 183 subscribers a month. And then in the, the tail end of last year and into the first part of this year, all of a sudden it jumped up to you know almost 800 subscribers a month. And actually, I think last month was something like 1,500 new subscribers to the email list. So clearly uh, some decisions that were made had a significant effect on the results that I was getting. And so, of course, the question, what what did I do? What did I change uh, that led to these results after spending two years creating a ton of content, but not getting the results to making some changes that led to, to more effective uh, marketing? And so what I actually did was over the holidays, I kind of zoomed out and I was like, okay, I'm spending way too much time to be kind of getting these results. Like what is actually going on here? I had some time off and I, I took that kind of wide angle lens to my business, my marketing strategy. And I kind of just listed out, I opened up a Figma file 
and I just boxed out every single marketing activity that I was doing. And I just put them all in boxes all over uh, the screen. And then I started organizing them and I was kind of seeing like, okay, well, I'm doing some of these things to get exposure to my newsletter, to my business. I'm doing some of these, they're kind of like nurturing people. There's, um, you know, some of these are revenue generating activities, different products that I have. And so this was kind of my whole business. And I was kind of saying like, okay, I have all of these pieces that are out there. And I gave each of them a letter grade and it's from, you know, A, A plus to, to D minus. And I was kind of took a, a hard look at them and was like, okay, well, what is working and what isn't working and, you know, what's actually going on here. And one of the interesting things was that I was, you know, as we can see on the left-hand side here, this is the exposure category here. So these were all the things I was doing to get exposure to my work. And you would think with that many activities in that column that I would be doing a lot better. And that was one of the things that I realized when I, when I gave myself a grade, it was actually one of the ones where I was like, yeah, this is maybe like a C where I was doing probably too many things and to, to do, be doing any one of them well. And so I kind of gave myself a grade on each of these categories and kind of as a result of this came up with, I, with what I call the ears framework, which is what we're going to be looking at in depth today. And so uh, we're going to go through each of these categories and, and take a look at, you know, how it applies to your business, to your podcast and, uh, and how you can kind of take a more tactical approach or a more thoughtful approach, maybe trim some of the fat where you're like overdoing it on some areas and kind of make up for uh, where you may not, might not be spending enough attention in others. So um, I think before before I discovered this framework, this is kind of what marketing often felt like to me. I don't know if anybody can relate to this. You're just like this amorphous blob. You're like wandering around, trying to bump into things, just seeing like, oh, does this work? Does that work? I don't really know what I'm doing. I heard that I'm supposed to do this, but like, I don't actually understand why. Am I supposed to be on TikTok? Am I supposed to be doing, you know, webinars? Maybe I'm, I'm supposed to have this kind of email funnel. We hear about different product types and we just kind of reactively, you know, wind our way around in the dark without really knowing like, what is this system that we're trying to build here? Why would we do this marketing tactic? Do I actually need to do this? Maybe I'm already doing this uh, with something else that I, or achieving the same result with something else that I'm already doing. And so this is certainly how marketing uh, has often felt to me in the past. Once I kind of stumbled onto this framework, marketing became a lot more structured where I realized, okay, there are four basic problems that my marketing needs to solve for my business to be successful. And if I can do all of these, you know, things are just going to work. And so this, all of a sudden with this structure became a lot more clear and I realized, oh, okay, this is, this is manageable. This is something I can actually conceive in my head, kind of hold in my hands and say like, okay, everything that I'm doing maps to one of these categories. And I want to make sure that I'm addressing each of these. And so again, those categories are exposure, attraction, retention, and monetization sales, um, you know, whatever, however you want to think about that. And so these are really the four categories that uh, I feel like we all need to have in our businesses, in our podcasts, if we want them to grow. And so one of the great things about this framework is you can actually apply it to anything. You could apply it to a single product. You could apply it to your podcast. You could apply it to, for like I apply it to my newsletter. You could apply it to your business as a whole. And in each of those elements might play a part in uh, this, this uh, framework here. So we're going to, like I said, dig into each one of these categories, look at some of the ways to diagnose it for yourself to be able to say like, you know, how am I scoring in this category? What are some of the, the good signs that, that would show that I'm actually, you know, pretty strong here? And maybe what are some of the signs that I might not be as strong as I need to be? But before we do that, uh, the one last thing that I want to say uh, before we take a more granular approach is that 
it's important to remember that like these, each of these categories needs to be in place if we want our marketing to work successfully. And so a lot of creators, a lot of business owners that I talk to have even maybe three of these pieces in place, but they're missing this fourth one. And without this fourth piece in place, they kind of form this bridge. And if we're missing one of those slats on the bridge, you know, our people aren't making it across from initial exposure to ultimately signing up to work with us or whatever that, that outcome that we're hoping for might be. And so a lot of times with creators, we do a, a really great job of retention. So this is kind of the similar to like the nurturing content. It's probably your podcast, your YouTube channel, newsletter, things that where you really, people get to know you, you're in teaching mode, you're doing what you do best. It's kind of where we get to like focus our craft. And so it's like working on the stuff. And a lot of times we do really well in that category. And if we look at my story, I was creating two newsletters and a podcast. I was clearly over-indexing on the retention side of things where almost all of my time that I was spending on marketing was in things that were helping people develop a strong relationship with me, but I was not really doing that much to get them into that content. There was a big gap in kind of both those, those first two categories of initial exposure, but then also attracting them, uh, being able to convey the value of what I was giving in that content. And one of the things for me was that I realized like, actually I did a great job at retention and I actually did for the audience that I had, did a great job of the monetization side of things. I, I think when I was looking at benchmarks of conversion rates and things like that into my course, I realized that actually, I think I'm getting more people in than I should given my size of audience compared to other creators that I talk to. And so that's actually a really good sign if I can find out how to get more people into those newsletters, the podcast, the long form content in the first place. So something to think about here, what we're looking for is to have complete this bridge, have uh, a strong kind of presence in each of these categories. All right. So let's dive into uh, each of these categories one by one. And we're going to start with uh, the E for exposure. And so this, I think it's it's kind of interesting. There's kind of this um, weird tension here where if you look at you know what I was doing, we spend so much mental energy. We're active in so many places. We're trying to get exposure, but we don't tend to really do those things well a lot of times. And so I think a lot of times that's because we're spreading ourselves too thin. We're on five different social platforms. And plus we're also trying experimenting with ads. Plus we're doing collaborations. We're guesting on podcasts. We're doing basically everything we possibly can thinking that like, if I just do more, I'm going to get more exposure and that's going to be more effective in getting people back to my content, uh, getting them into our podcasts and, you know, ultimately moving people to, to work with us. Uh, unfortunately, this is not how it works. And of, of course, then there's the other side of things where like I uh, have come from in the past where it's just kind of like, well, I'm going to create a great product and people are going to find it. It's going to be this amazing show, this amazing newsletter, this amazing course, and I, the word will spread. I know that, you know, word of mouth, I hear about that. Like surely that will work. Once I get people into the show, they're going to talk about it and they're going to bring other people in. And unfortunately, that usually doesn't work until you have almost so many listeners that you don't even need that to, to happen to you, where you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are talking about, or at least listening to your, your work. And at that point, you're going to have a significant amount of people who are actually talking about it. But when you're in that first hundred people, it's a little bit harder to generate word of mouth growth. And so this is something that uh, usually doesn't work out like we, we usually imagine. And as a result, what we need to do is say like, okay, especially when we're talking about podcasting, podcasting as, uh, as we are probably all well aware is uh, terrible in terms of discover, uh, discovery, kind of organic uh, options for people to find our content in the first place compared to something like YouTube or TikTok, where there is this recommendation engine that is recommending our work to people who are likely to engage with it. Podcasting just doesn't have that. And so if we want to grow our shows, there's a lot of value to creating a podcast, but we need to take that discovery into our own hands. And the good news is that this is not necessarily as hard as it might sound. 
The one other uh, note I want to say when it comes to exposure is that this is not necessarily about when we think about exposure, a lot of times we think about social media. But when I'm thinking about exposure here, it's about getting exposure to new people who have never heard about us. And so usually when I talk to podcasters and I'm asking them, okay, what are you currently doing to grow your show right now? What are you doing on the marketing front? And they'll say, well, I've submitted my show to all the directories that are out there. And I'll say, okay, good. And then they'll say, and I post about each new episode on social media when it goes out. And I'll kind of give them a, give them a little minute here and I'll like, okay, anything. Okay. No, there's nothing else. And usually that's like 99% of the people I talk to it's I've submitted it to all the directories and I'm posting about the new episodes on social media. The problem we've talked about, well, most of the directories don't have any kind of inbuilt discoverability. So we're kind of relying on people searching of their own intent and stumbling across it. Or if we're posting on social media, these are people who have already chosen to follow us usually. Um, and they have just, you know, they're already aware of us. They're probably already aware that the podcast exists and have either made a decision to listen to the podcast um, and keep listening. Maybe they've listened once and said, nah, that's not for me. I'm going to keep following them on social media, but I'm not going to listen to the show. Or, you know, they've looked at it and said, no, nah, that's not interesting. I'm not even going to listen to it. And so when we're relying on social media, typically as our way of growing the show, it's kind of mostly getting in front of people who have already heard about it. And it's, it's not actually getting in front of that many new people. And so it's no surprise then uh, when the show isn't growing, even despite all the content we're repurposing and posting on social media. And so when we're thinking about exposure, we're looking for ways to get in front of new people who have never even come across us before. And maybe they're not, the first step isn't listening to the show. Maybe it's, you know, following us somewhere, subscribing to our, our email list, which is sometimes a little bit less friction, um, but taking some intermediary step that might eventually lead to the podcast. So let's look at some of the, the positive indicators. When it comes to exposure, some of the signs that you're doing a, a really good job of this already. Could be that you have you know lots of website traffic, and so this I work with a number of clients where they actually have you know tens of thousands of page views per month, but their podcast is not um, actually you know attracting people back to it, and so that could be a design issue with the website where the podcast is just not prominent, people can't even find it, or it could be a problem with uh, one of the next uh, components of this ears framework, which we'll we'll talk about in a second. But if you're getting lots of website traffic, probably you are getting exposure to the show, so that's certainly a good sign. If you have large social reach too, this is another great sign. It's like, okay, I've got the reach. I have exposure to the show. So probably this isn't my issue that is, is causing my, my lower download numbers than I would like. If you are doing a lot of paid advertising to your brand, to a product, to your podcast itself, you probably have uh, are doing a pretty good job of exposure there. Um, if you're doing regular podcast guesting appearances or collaborations with other creators, maybe you're doing workshops like this one, um, something like that, you're probably, you know, if you're doing that consistently, you're getting exposure to new people. So probably, again, another good sign here. And then another good sign, this would be more anecdotal, is that when you do talk to your listeners, they're people who aren't, you know, friends or, or family. And so people are finding their way to your show who are outside of your kind of existing circle. That's a good sign that like, okay, people are coming across your show. They're finding your show one way or another. And so you do have some exposure there. So these are all some of the, the signs that you're doing pretty good in the exposure category. Uh, anybody feeling particularly strong right now going through this list, uh, feeling like, okay, I'm doing all the right things. Feel free to thumbs up, put it in the chat. I have a question, Jeremy. Yeah. If I may. Uh, when you say large social reach, you are not talking about social media, correct? You're talking about some other form of social reach. Could you explain that? 
Yeah, that would be social media. So like some people oh, that okay. I talk to, like I, I have one student who he's, his Instagram account, I, actually his daughter manages it. I don't think he has nothing to do with it, but they've got nearly a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, but he's only getting maybe a thousand downloads per episode. And so his big, big frustration is like, man, we've got access to this attention. How do we convert this into podcast listeners? And so that might be a case where it's like, okay, we're doing, we've got the attention. We just need to figure out, you know, some other piece of the puzzle here to get people into the show. And so that would be kind of a, uh, where you know exposure isn't the problem it's it's probably something else all right so some of the common issues if we're looking at reasons why we might not be uh doing as well in the exposure category as we could be uh the first one of course is that not realize realizing that exposure won't occur naturally and that it's something that we have to work at i don't know if anybody's you know i, I certainly feel like most of us get into to online content creation at some point and we think like well i'm gonna create it and people will find it right that's how this all this all works anybody uh get into podcasting blogging anything like that with with that, that mindset initially i see bradley nodding nodding yeah no okay well M melly's shaking your head so that's a great uh mindset to start out with knowing that you have to to do the work to get out in front of people uh that probably uh you're two years ahead of me from where i started probably uh in, in doing online content creation the second thing could be lack of specificity about the people you're trying to reach. And so, of course, you know, again, as creators, we tend to rail against niching down. But uh, one of the things that I like to think about is some content doesn't necessarily need to be niched in topic, but our marketing does. And so the more focus we bring to our marketing, the more efficient it's going to be. And so if anybody's ever experimented with Facebook ads at all uh, before, this becomes really apparent where you could choose to advertise to everybody on the planet and maybe you're going to get some people back to your show or your product or whatever it might be, but you're going to be paying probably hundreds of dollars for each person to, or thousands of dollars if you're going that broad to get them to take that action that you want because most people just don't care. Whereas when you narrow that down and you're able to say like, okay, my ads are only being shown to the 2000 people in the world who actually care about the thing that I'm doing, but now it only costs me $1 to get them to take that action because it's so narrow. And the same thing applies to our time and our energy. And so when we are doing our marketing, if we have, let's say we have five hours a week to spend on marketing, we don't want to be wasting our time speaking to people who are never going to come back to our show. And so the clearer we are on spending that time in a way where like we are exposing ourselves to the densest population of people who might come back to our podcast, we're going to get way more return on our investment of time. And if you're investing money in ads or anything like that, that applies as well. But this is something that once I kind of came across that idea and was like, oh, this applies to time as well. Like, yeah, I want to spend I either want to spend less time on my marketing or I want to get greater results for my marketing. If I'm spending five hours a week, I would rather get 150 new listeners to my podcast rather than 10. And so I think probably most people would would agree with that and uh, specificity, directing your, your efforts and your energy uh, in a very narrow um, kind of uh, focus is the way to do that. Even if there are other people who are good listeners for your show, you can kind of work through those almost silos one by one until you've kind of saturated each space. Uh, but you're just like being very consistent with your, your messaging and your marketing. Uh, another issue could be not spending enough time on what I think of as growth oriented activities. And so when I think about a podcast in particular, most of the time, that we spend creating our shows is about the recording, the prep, the research, the content repurposing, all of these things that are kind of like admin maintenance oriented stuff where it's like they need to happen for the show to be out there in the world. But none of those things actually lead to growth in the long term. They're not getting us exposure to new people. And so if we're not spending any time on growth, it's actually no surprise that our shows aren't really growing. If we're just doing what it needs to what needs to be done to get the show out there.
And uh, if anybody's familiar with the Eisenhower matrix, the uh, urgent versus uh, not urgent and important versus not important, uh, growth-oriented activities fall firmly into the important but not urgent category where we never actually need to do them. They We, we want the result, but there's no impending pressure to go out there and pitch a collaboration with someone. We can always push it off to next week. Uh, there's no, you know, and so like this is one of the the traps when it comes to marketing is that we have to make those things a priority and we have to put them into our schedule. And when we do that, we start to see more results. And so usually when I'm thinking about growth oriented activities, I would recommend, you know, getting to the point where you're spending 30 to 50% of the time that you spend overall on your show is on those growth oriented activities. And so um, this usually means cutting down on the time we're spending on production, could be through outsourcing, could be through automating, uh, could be through just cutting things that, you know, they're just in that uh, 20% or 80% of activities that aren't getting the, the top 20% of results. Um, but working towards that point where we're spending a fairly significant amount of our time on things that will actually lead to growth. All right, a couple other issues um, or act actually following up on the growth oriented activities, I'll just give some some highlights here. So that could be like I mentioned, setting up collaborations and cross promotions. This is where I spend a lot of time and I know Bradley spends a lot of time on this as well when it comes to marketing. It's like you could you can grow your show just by doing cross promotions. And actually, I'm, I'm sure you're all aware, uh, as as Bradley has done a number of workshops on, you know, marketing without social media. This is one of those ways to do that. You can just, you know, engage with other creators who are creating similar things, have a similar audience. And at least for me, this is one of the most fun and rewarding uh, methods of marketing as well. And so a lot of upsides there. Could be guesting on other podcasts, doing research and pitching. Those is another great way, another great uh, growth-oriented activity. It could be engaging in relevant niche communities. And so that could be, uh, you know, a Facebook group, or it could be on, you know, Reddit or Discord or wherever you're active. If there's an active community of your ideal audience members, not pitching to them, just being a valuable member of the community, just talking with people, the, the people that you share these common interests with that you would like to hang out with anyway. And that often uh, over the long run leads to significant growth. And it could also be, you know, experimenting with paid advertising, could be writing SEO uh, op my blog posts, all those other kind of things that are actually like the purpose of that thing is to actually get exposure to new people. So uh, a few ideas on how to improve. If you feel like you're maybe not quite where you should be when it comes to the exposure side of things, uh, here are some recommendations on how to uh, improve your kind of grade that you might have given yourself on that. And so the first would be to experiment and identify just one single listener acquisition channel that works and then double down on that. And this is kind of the thing that we we don't want to do. We don't want to invest in one thing because we think like, well, I want to you know invest broadly. If I don't try all the things, how will I know which one actually works? But one of the problems with this is that most channels, you actually need to invest pretty heavily in order to see results. It's like you, you can't actually get results until you invest you know, enough uh, that you reach this kind of critical mass. And so I know I actually, you know, I, I would love to spend maybe a little bit less time on social media, but I do love Twitter. And it took me six months of like being active on there every day before I like got it. And I was like, oh, I kind of understand the community. I'm like a part of the community now. I understand how this works. I understand how to show up and be a valuable contributor to this, where these existing conversations are that I want to be involved in. And at that point, everything started working a lot better. But I was never going to get there if I was just showing up and posting my content through an automated, you know, means for five minutes a day and never engaged in that community. And so that's true for most marketing channels. You're not going to like write high ranking SEO articles if you just like do the bare minimum 
and you never actually learn how it works and write a bunch of articles first and make all the mistakes before you figure out the nuances of it. And so usually what I would recommend is like pick one channel, whatever it is, maybe it's collaborations, podcast guesting, SEO, could be social media even, and say like, where do I have the most fun? Where do I actually enjoy myself? Where am I kind of wired to, you know, have an advantage here because I just enjoy doing it. And like I mentioned before, collaborations are one of the things that I get a lot of energy out of. And so that's one of the things where I'm going to spend more time on that than almost any other marketing channel, because I know it get res gets results by this point, having done a lot of it. And it's also fun for me. And it's also, I get to connect with other cool people that has all these kind of long-term benefits as well. Oftentimes in the form of friendships with other creators, which is a, you know, a magical kind of outcome that's often even better than, you know, whatever kind of like audience growth or sales you might get out of it. So picking one that you feel like, yes, I can be consistent with this. I can be, you know, excited about this and I can stick with it long enough in order to, to learn it and figure out how to actually do it really well. The second thing here is to, like I mentioned, uh, find ways to streamline your production and, and admin processes. And so that might be through using tools like uh, Zapier, or there's, you know, all kinds of AI tools that are out there now. I just did an, a presentation last night on uh, AI tools and podcasting, and there's all kinds of things that can just save a ton of time on the production side of things. Uh, Alitu is a tool that I love for really streamlining the, the production process where you can have these like really nice, easy templates for creating your episodes. It automates a lot of the cleanup on audio files, things like that. And so you can find ways to kind of simplify the process. And sometimes maybe the finished product is a little bit objectively a little bit worse than it was, but usually we recognize that and our audience doesn't. And if that saves us five hours a week, that the show is only like 3% worse or 5% worse, like maybe that's a good trade-off so that we can actually spend time on growth. And then in the long run, we're going to add those things back in that we might've had to remove because they were taking too long. And I've certainly done that before. I'm someone who thinks big and goes all the way into the deep end of whatever I'm creating and then realizes like, oh shit, I'm kind of like in over my head here and I need to scale this back. And this is entirely unsustainable. And what was I thinking when I started this? I uh, My show that I'm not doing anymore, my last one, took something like 20 hours a week to produce. I was producing this weekly. and I certainly do not have 20 hours a week to spend on content while I was also writing two other newsletters um, and running a business. And I realized pretty quickly once I got into that, like, I uh, kind of misscoped this from the get-go and, and I, I can't really invest in creating the show that I wanted to create from the start. And so ultimately scaled back on that and then actually ended that show uh, at one point as well to focus on other things. And then the last thing here, this kind of falls in that same category is just cutting time intensive tasks that have little upside. And there are things, I am as guilty of this as anyone. There are things when I write my newsletter that every single week, you know, there'll be some task that takes an hour that I think probably no one notices or, or cares about at all. And I'm like, why am I still doing this after like three years of writing this newsletter? Probably I should cut this and I have some, you know, hang up on it. Um, it hasn't gotten to the, the painful point where I'm ready to give up on it yet. But, uh, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe we'll get there yet. And I think we all have those tasks that probably could be eliminated uh, if we can get ourselves to do that. So that is the, the first kind of uh, component of the, the ears framework, the exposure category of your marketing. And uh, that, like I said, is usually the one where most of us, I think we spend a lot of our attention on, but don't actually do it very well. Um, and so that's the, one of the big areas that I think is, is worth thinking about. All right, uh, next up, we're going to move on to the attraction category. And so this is one often gets confused a little bit with exposure or what's the difference. So let's uh, talk through this a little bit. And so essentially, once we get exposure to our ideal listeners, that does not mean that they are coming back 
to our podcast immediately or following us on social media or subscribing to our newsletter, whatever the action that we want them to take, just getting exposure to them usually isn't enough for them to take that action. And so the attraction piece of your marketing is all about how you construct your show, your work, your online persona, how you show up in the world, that when people see you, when your ideal listeners come across you online, they're like, yes, that is the show I want to subscribe to. I get it. I understand it. It's clear to me. I get the value. And they, they have this like, kind of like magnetism to the show where they it just pulls people in. And so some of the kind of key components of the, your uh, traction category of your marketing are your show's packaging. So it could be the titling, the cover art. It can get into like the audio and production quality, things like that once people actually start listening. But certainly it's the things that people can see from the outside. It could be your social profile. It could be your website. All these kind of visual cues. A lot of times the packaging is very visual that, you know, people get this impression of us and they make a judgment about our show and us as creators uh, before they ever actually experience it. And so we might have this fantastic show, but if our cover art looks like we made it in um, Microsoft Paint, I think we might have a tough time actually getting people into the show. And so one of the things that like, that is frustrating, especially if you're not a designer, is we think like, well, it's... It, this isn't a design podcast. This is a show about, you know, whatever our topic is. So the design shouldn't matter. And it's kind of like, yeah, it maybe shouldn't. And yet, you know, all of us are as guilty as anyone else as our potential listeners of making these judgments. And we kind of at some point have to say like, well, we can kind of fight against that, but there's actually no fighting against, you know, we're kind of hardwired to, to think that way. And as we're kind of constantly being bombarded with all of this content, all of this advertising coming across our screens, coming across us in real life every single day, we are kind of programmed to ignore most of what comes across our path and look for reasons to actually disqualify it. What we're our kind of default stance uh, when it comes to new things coming at us is to say, no, I've got enough on my plate. And so something really needs to stand out to be to get us to pause, let alone click through and spend, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes of our time listening to that show. And so the packaging plays a huge role in getting them to take that next step of like, oh, this looks interesting. It looks legitimate. It looks like it's going to be worth my time. I'm going to go in and actually click play on an episode. Uh, the second component here of attraction is the messaging. So how do you describe your show in a way that people get the value? They get who it's for. They get what it's for. They understand why this show is different from the 10 other shows that are on a similar topic and what they can only get here that they can't get somewhere else. Uh, so the, the messaging, the words we use are always going to be an, an important part of how we convince people to, to click play on our episodes. Uh, and then the third one here is a unique or compelling show concept or premise. So we're going to look at an example of this in a minute, but this is something that uh, is vastly overlooked by most podcasters, uh, but is one of the biggest things that you can do in order to make your show kind of more magnetic, more attractive to potential listeners. So again, we'll look at uh, an example of that in a second. So essentially your, you know, if you were to give your show a rating, you know, out of a hundred on how attractive or how magnetic it is to potential listeners, that is really what is going to dictate how easy it is to market it. So in an extremely attractive show, once you get in front of people, they're going to be like, yep, that's the show for me. They might have this eyes light up moment where they're like, man, I can't, I can't believe the show I, I, it existed and I didn't even know about it. And there are certainly shows that I've come across before that I had that experience where it's like, wow, this is such an amazing idea. I didn't even know that I've been waiting for a show like this. But like when you come across it, you just get it. And if we can reach that point with our shows, it's not easy, certainly. And it's something that we often like work our way towards over months or years at a time. But marketing just becomes a whole lot easier when we don't need to describe so much like why you should listen. People see it and they get it and they want to click play immediately. Also, you know, when we have a more attractive show, it's much faster, uh, cheaper and easier to grow. And so that's, uh, you know, all, all good things there. Um, 
regardless of what type of methods we're using to market it, it all gets easier. Um, I will say that less immediately attractive shows, they can still be grown. They just take more time and effort in the long run. And so I've mentioned, I have two newsletters. My scrappy podcasting newsletter is I think much more attractive. And so that one, I give uh, one two minute, uh, often unconventional idea around marketing per week on how to grow your show. And so that kind of hook has a bit more, you kind of like get it immediately what you're going to get when you subscribe to that newsletter. My other newsletter, Creative Wayfinding is more philosophical. It's more long form. I don't even know quite how to describe it. And as a result, it's much harder for me to market. And that's not to say it's not worth doing. It's just, I have to reset my expectations around, you know, how long it's going to take to grow that one versus the other one, which has a very clear problem it solves. The audience is very clear who it's for. They get it uh, or they understand what they're going to get by signing up. And so, um, something to keep in mind, there's no necessarily right or wrong way to do it. Certainly uh, different um, kinds of uh, podcasts and, and different uh, media has value, even if it's not immediately hooky, but it's something to keep in mind that like the more attractive you can make it from the outside, the easier it is going to be to grow. So uh, some of the positive indicators when it comes to the attractiveness of your show. The first is what I think of as eyes light up moments. And so when you tell, you you describe your show to one of your ideal listeners, they get that experience of like, you can just see in their face, whether it's over Zoom, whether it is in person, and they're just like, wow, this, this is, is such a great show idea. Like, I can't believe, you know, I hadn't heard of this before. And even better is if they pull out their phone immediately and they subscribe on the spot. So the, the opposite of this, or maybe not quite the full opposite, but a lot of times you'll tell somebody about your show and they'll say, oh yeah, that sounds, that sounds really interesting. I'll definitely check that out. And what they're being polite uh, and, and not saying is that, oh yeah, you're interesting and I, I don't want to offend you, but uh, I'm never going to listen to your show and I don't really care about it. And so looking for that actual honest uh, eyes light up moment where you can see like they are actually kind of resonating, connecting with the description of your show. This could be, you know, a combination of the premise or the concept of the show, uh, and probably is also paired with uh, the way that you describe it. And so we'll, again, we'll look at a, an example of that, uh, two different versions of that in a minute. Uh, other positive indicators uh, include, you know, high click-through rates, if you're, especially if you're doing any advertising and you can see that like, there's a lot of people clicking through to your show when you're advertising it, maybe in another newsletter or uh, in a podcast or something like that. If you can see that people are clicking through, that's a good sign that like, okay, people are interested in this. When it gets in front of them, they are taking action and, and clicking through to the episode. Could also be, you know, positive comments and clicks on social media posts related to the show. And so I think we all know how hard it is to get positive feedback on our shows. And so if we post about it and people are like, wow, that sounds like a super interesting show, they don't need to do that. And so if they are going out of their way to make that comment, that's probably a pretty good sign that like, okay, I think I'm onto something here. There's something that is at least appealing to the people that uh, I, I want to appeal to here. And then the other one, uh, the last one here is uh, a steady increase in growth, uh, especially from channels outside of those that you're specifically focused on. So let's say you're focusing a lot on, let's just say Twitter, because I'm most active on Twitter, but you're getting a lot of people coming to the show who don't seem to be, you know, when you talk to them in, in one way or another, uh, maybe they join your email list and answer your welcome email. And they, you say like, how did you find out about me? And they say, you know, something else other than where you're focused. And so that's a really good sign because like you are not actually doing the hard sell on them. They came across the show and on the show's own merit, it was interesting enough for them to, to click through and, and subscribe to the show. And so that's uh, another good indicator there. All right, some of the common issues, some of the challenges uh, when it comes to creating an attractive show. Uh, the first one is that the show concept isn't hooky enough. And so there's a lot of shows that are kind of like, 
long form interviews with interesting people about how they became successful. And this might be interesting to us. We might be very interested in talking to those people, but there's nothing really differentiated or hooky about that concept where, you know, we tell that to someone, they're like, yeah, I mean, like I listened to 30 shows like that, or I've come across 30 shows like that, even in a given niche. And so there's nothing that really makes it cut through and stand out. And so essentially the concept here, when I'm talking about this idea of the concept is the, you know, hopefully entirely unique and compelling combination of the topic that you cover and the way in which you cover it, that is different from all the other shows in your niche. And so probably very few of us, if any of us are operating in, you know, niches where we are the one and only show on that topic. And so what we need to do is say like, okay, well, we, we kind of have to accept that, but how am I going to cover this topic, whether through the format, the way I present the topic or the facet of the topic that I cover, um, the types of people I have on, like, what am I doing to uh, distinguish my show from all these other ones? And so I can say, you know, this is a show about X topic, unlike other shows on this topic, we do Y, or we are the only show that does Y. And if we can't construct a statement like that, Chances are we don't have that uh, much of a differentiated concept. It's not that interesting to people when they come across it. And we've kind of fade into the background of all the other similar shows that are out there. And so shows that really grow effortlessly tend to have really immediately compelling concepts. And so I, I've mentioned this idea a few times now. We're going to finally uh, break the tension and get to the example here. And so I don't know if anybody uh, has any uh, guesses at what this show might be. I feel like it's probably a, uh, a show that might be for a different audience than, than who's assembled here. I don't actually listen to the show, but it is a good concept. So we've got two potential descriptions for this show. And so the first one is a podcast where we interview successful entrepreneurs and uncover their secrets so you can apply them to your business. And to you know, one extent, it sounds like, okay, yeah, people would be, there's an audience for that for sure. But this also describes... I don't even know how many, certainly dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of shows that could basically all be described as this exact same premise, if you can even call it that. The second description, and this is actually how this show started out until they kind of refined their concept and brought uh, kind of sharpened it. But the second description now, the current description is a podcast where we brainstorm potential million dollar business ideas based on trends and opportunities we see in the market. Sometimes we have famous guests on and they do it with us. And all of a sudden you hear this and you're like, well, that sounds way more interesting. They are doing all this work of researching the market and pinpointing trends and connecting the dots and saying like, hey, all this stuff is happening over here. Here's a potential million dollar business idea for you to take away and run with. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that feels way more actionable. It sounds way more interesting. It sounds maybe more entertaining. And so uh, this show is called My First Million. And uh, Sam and Sean, the two hosts, they're both very successful. Um, Sam, the guy on the left, he... Founder, co-founded uh, the hustle, which sold jobs. Who knows how many tens or hundreds of millions of dollars? Uh, certainly a very successful entrepreneur and uh, in, in the media space. And then I, I think Sean, the other one, he just sold a newsletter um, as well uh, for large sums of money. And so these are two guys who clearly get the idea. Certainly at this point of the the power of a concept and being able to kind of cut through the noise in a really crowded space. And so when we're thinking about, you know, this is a, a show that the topic is very similar. Both of these descriptions cover basically the same topic, but they do it in very different ways. And the second description is way more refined, way more focused. There's way more structure to it. And in a hear about it you just you already get the idea of the show where the first one you're still kind of going on faith of like is this going to be worth my time or not all right so uh, a couple more common issues when it comes to the attraction side of things 
Um, the first thing be core messaging. And so, so this is where, you know, you know, you have a good show when people listen to it, you get great feedback from them. Excuse me, Jeremy. But you really find yourself having to like explain. Yeah. Jeremy, sorry to interrupt. Your voice is sometimes really breaking up. I don't know if other people are hearing this, but I'm, I'm losing chunks of what you're saying and I really want to hear everything. Thank just, you. Yeah, I just started breaking yeah. up for about five seconds before uh, you chimed in there. Yeah, okay, Kira said the okay, same yeah. thing. She, I've been having a... Okay, it, it's been fine most... like weird for, issues with my... It's been totally fine for the majority okay, of the presentation. Just, uh, okay, let's get back to. You're not you're not cutting out now, so that's and a good I'm sign. Like a whole computer. Okay, let's. Okay, now I think it's reset. My uh, webcam has been doing like weird bogging down my computer sometimes, but I uh, turned that off and let's re start the slides okay i think that should be good okay and we are not back yeah we see the slides now and the uh perfect the, the cutting out it seems to be gone so i think you're good carry on All right. Okay, perfect. Okay, so uh, continuing on with some of the, the common issues on the attraction side of things. Um, like I mentioned, poor messaging. And so if you are getting that like good feedback from people who listen, um, difficulty explaining, people don't get you know, what the show is about. When uh, you were telecon. Was it still, uh, Melly, was it still getting issues there with the sound? Yeah, yeah. you went fuzzy and then you yeah, and then you went silent and I could see that you were talking. So. I got the same thing. Okay. <laughs> a mm. new problem. Always, always a new problem to solve. Now mm. it's good though? Now it is good. Okay. All right. Well, Say we'll something keep, uh, important really on. fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's see how I can do my uh, legalese voice here. That's right. The rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, the couple others here. Uh, if you don't have clear, if you're not really clear on what your differentiators are for your show, that's potentially an issue as well, where maybe you are just blending into that background of like, when you look at the other shows on a similar topic, sometimes if you like feel threatened and you say like, oh man, like I don't, I feel like I don't want to look at my competitors because it's going to make me feel bad because they're either very similar to me or they're way better than me. That might be an indicator that like, oh, well, maybe that's true. And like, maybe they are really similar to me. Maybe they are better shows than me. And maybe that's the thing that's holding me back from growth is I need to find a way to uh, distinguish myself in a way that is going to be compelling to people. And this is probably, you know, the hardest part of marketing. Um, but it's one of the things that I think the people who do succeed in the long run, they kind of like grapple with that and work at that for a long time until they come up to something that is actually like really unique and actually gets, um, you know, the point across to people really quickly. And so um, with both of these things, you know, make sure that you are both your differentiators and um, identifying, you know, some of the primary benefits that people get from listening to your show. 
make sure that these are the things that are coming across in your messaging. So like people can clearly see from the outside, they read your show description, they hear you talk about it, they understand, you know, what's in it for me? What am I going to get from listening to the show? Uh, and they also understand like, what is, how is this different from other similar shows that are out there? Uh, and then finally, we were talking about packaging as well as being one of the elements of your show's uh, level of attractiveness. And so this, what I would typically do is use Canva or Figma or Photoshop or whatever you use and take a screenshot of your show's cover art and just take screenshots of all your competitors' cover arts and just see how it stacks up. And you think like, okay, if somebody searched for a show on my topic, if they came across my cover art in relation to everyone else's, does my show look, you know, as good as the other ones out there? And if it clearly seems like, oh, mine clearly looks like the most amateur, that's probably a sign that like, well, people are making a judgment on that, whether we want to admit it or not. And so maybe I need to, you know, hire a designer or do something if I'm serious about my show. Uh, this is clearly a bottleneck that I need to address at some point. And uh, yeah, so again, sometimes uh, I feel like I've done a lot of self-made design in my career and uh, have been able to get pretty good at it, but there's certainly things out there where it's kind of like, okay, I know I'm competing with, you know, somebody at this level, I'm not going to get there myself and need to bring in outside help to do that. And the one thing I'll say about this is like hiring a designer can be expensive uh, to get a good one. Um, and I think a lot of us feel like, well, if I spend 500 or a thousand or more to like get somebody to design my cover art, like what if I don't like it? And what if I've wasted that money? And Instead, we kind of just stick with maybe something that's self-made that we made in Canva or hired somebody on Fiverr and that whole time it's not really working for us. And so I think, you know, if you're hiring a good designer, they should have a process that will help you get something that uh, reflects your show accurately and that you can kind of have some confidence in the process. And uh, one of the things about, you know, hiring a designer is that it's a one-time investment, unlike a lot of other kind of marketing activities where it's like, okay, you'd invest one time, you spend $500, get this amazing design. And I've heard so many stories of people who that was the only change they made to their show and it really drastically increase their downloads just because it got the the vibe of the show across it appealed to the the right people uh in a way more immediate fashion okay so uh we've already talked about some of the ideas on how to improve that's some actual uh, tactical things that you can do on a regular basis um the first is to just pitch your show regularly to people talk about it to people and ideally in either in person or on, you know, some kind of like live Zoom call setting, something like that, a call where you can actually gauge the response and look for those eyes light up moments. And so when you tell people like test out different variations of talking about your show and see, you know, what gets people excited about it. If you know that people who do listen to the show like it, like figure out what you need to communicate to get people who haven't listened to the show to feel that same level of excitement. And then the second thing is to just keep an eye out for compelling podcasts as well as other media formats and concepts and think about how to improve the hook of your show. So as you're just out there in the world, you'll see things where you'll notice yourself be like, wow, that looks really interesting. And it's worth just taking, you know, 30 seconds when you come across them, be like, why is this interesting to me? What about this makes this stand out from other similar content on that topic? And once you start to do that, you can like, there's plenty of opportunities every single day. You start to notice the patterns and you're like, oh, I could start to like, borrow some of these and apply them to my show. And that would be interesting if I maybe change the format up that way. And a lot of like the best ideas for podcasts or, or anything else really come from like borrowing a format or some idea from another medium and just applying it in a new way with a new topic, a new format. And so that's a really good way to improve the hook uh, of your show. All right, two down, two to go. We're gonna spend a little bit less time on these two um, because retention is really where most 
podcasters do a fantastic job and we spend a lot of time thinking about our shows. This is really the, you know, the core trust building content itself. And so the thing to think about here that, that I want to highlight is when it comes to these kind of retention content, the people come into your ecosystem and this is where you really like nurture them uh, and give them a lot of great value, your podcast, newsletter, things like that. The goal here is not necessarily to grow your audience, but to nurture and deepen your relationship with them. And specifically with podcasting, I think it's helpful to think about a podcast not as a way to grow your audience, but a way to nurture them and move them towards buying your product or service. And when we do that, we kind of kind of kind of say like, okay, I'm not, I don't have this unrealist, unrealistic expectation that my podcast is going to massively increase my audience, but it's going to do another very valuable job. And so that just means I need to look for that exposure and discoverability elsewhere. And so I kind of think about this as like the bucket you're kind of funneling everyone towards. So you're trying to get exposure elsewhere, get them back to your podcast. And, and really thinking about, you know, optimizing for uh, resonating with people, giving value to people. These are the things that, you know, when we're thinking about how we create our show, these, this is the experience we want to give people. So uh, some of the positive indicators here would be low drop-off or high consumption rates. So if you look in you know, Spotify or Apple, you're seeing that people are listening through the, the majority of the episodes. Um, and you can find those on both of the back-end dashboards for those services. Obviously, you know, people need to be sticking around for your subscribers and listeners to go up. If you're getting exposure to a lot of people, but nobody's sticking around, you're you're not going to grow. So if your your numbers are increasing, that's a good sign when it comes to retention. Um, if you can uh, attribute any sales of products or services to podcast listeners, that's a clear sign that like, okay, people are listening to this and they are liking what they hear enough to want to take the next step and work with me. So that's a good sign. Uh, if you do have sponsors on your show and your, your listeners are buying uh, the product of those sponsors, then that's a sign that like, okay, clearly they value your opinion and your recommendations. Another good sign that like, okay, people trust you. They are getting something out of the show and they're actually taking action based on that. Uh, and then regular DMs or emails from listeners. If you get people, we know how hard this is to get. And so that's not to say you're getting, you know, 50 every episode you put out there. But if you get one or two or five every, even it's every other episode, if you're getting that engagement from listeners, like it, that is actually so hard to come by. So if people care enough to actually take that step to reach out to you, that's a fantastic sign that like the show is landing with people and you're, you're doing something right. And then as well, you know, this is uh, a little bit rare for small shows, but if you get people uh, publicly posting about the show, great feeling when that happens. If you're doing that, clearly uh, people have really been moved by the episodes and it, it's really connecting with them. So another great indicator. All right. Some of the common issues here. The tough, tough love here is sometimes the show just isn't good enough. If you are not getting those results from people, it could be that the show just needs to be improved in quality or focus or, you know, getting more of the right people in. Maybe you're just attracting the wrong people. Um, and so maybe the content is kind of generic or unoriginal. There's many shows that do the exact same thing as yours. And it's not really clear why somebody would keep listening to this one when there are others out there that do a very similar thing. Could be the production or presentation quality isn't where it needs to be. Uh, poor quality equipment. Maybe it's not edited as as well or at all as it could be. Um, the structure maybe could use some tweaking. So maybe it's just you're have a high kind of drop off rates where people listen to the first ten minutes, but it's a you know forty minute long episode, and then you have a really high drop off. And so maybe it's looking at like okay, what's happening here that is causing people to listen to the start, but they're not sticking around. I'm kind of losing people. Need to find some way to address that. 
And so thinking about, you know, what are the, the hooks when somebody starts clicks play on an episode? Like, are you immediately hooking them and kind of setting the stage for, you know, why they should be listening through this full episode, uh, giving them uh, kind of an, an open loop that is going to be closed at some point through the episode uh, could also have to do with pacing and delivery. So kind of like you as the host, like how are you structuring the interview or the, the narrative that you are constructing um, and delivering that? Uh, these could all be uh, issues that might be uh, present if you're struggling in this area. A couple ideas on how to improve. Study your favorite shows. Just try and think about like, you know, what do these shows do? Why do I love the show so much? And think about, you know, clearly the host is doing something. There's something about the show that keeps me engaged. What do I need to do? How can I borrow from, from those shows to improve my own? Thinking about, you know, what keeps you coming back? How do they structure their episodes? Um, Keeping up with trends in, you know, podcasting, marketing, and media as a whole. This doesn't mean like studying trade journals or anything like that, but just noticing like what kind of shows are popular right now? What am I listening to right now? What seems to be, you know, working out there? And maybe, you know, trends do change over time. And sometimes we might find ourselves out of step with, with where, you know, listener habits are going. That doesn't mean we necessarily need to be reactive and chase that, but it's helpful to know that like, oh, it seems like, you know, this type of show is being, is more popular right now. And maybe that's actually something I'm excited to do. Maybe that feels actually, I was doing something that was out of alignment with the show I wanted to create because I didn't feel like I had permission to do that. But now there's this other thing that's actually been proven to work. And that's actually the show I always wanted to create. And so that's something to, to keep track of as well. Uh, talking with listeners regularly, this is a great way to get feedback on your show. Uh, and then also just narrowing your listener targeting is always going to be, if you can be more specific about the people you're getting in, you're able to create content for those people very specifically uh, for them, that is, they're going to have a better experience with. All right. Finally, uh, on the revenue side of things, the final piece of the puzzle here of course, this is how you monetize your work. It could be through products, services, sponsors, ads, et cetera. It could be all of the above and more. And this is really much, much easier when you have those other three pieces in place. It's not to say it just like falls into place naturally. You still have to have a, a solid product, um, but it's much, much easier when you have that. Um, so we're not going to go too much into that uh, at all because all of our businesses are different and our, our methods for monetizing. And we are also nearing the bottom of the hour. So uh, what to do next with all this information? The first thing I would do is audit your strategy. So, you know, think about each of these categories and uh, think about your, your show, your creative platform, your business, and give each of those a letter grade. And so, you know, A plus is the best. There's nothing you could possibly do to improve it. You know, B is decent, but there's some, some room you could, you could improve certainly. C, you've like, you know, got something that is there, but it's, it's not really working. And then maybe D minus is the lowest possible grade. You're not even doing anything related to this at all. So for each of those categories, give yourself a letter grade and just say like, okay, where are my gaps and what can I do to potentially uh, improve those? And then uh, from there, just prioritizing, you know, where, where should we start here? And so I would compile a list of all the gaps that you see in your, your marketing and kind of group them by category. So if you're kind of like I showed in the slide at the start, here's all the things I'm doing in my marketing and kind of grouping those into each of these categories. And then um, one of the things that I like to say is like, having gaps in your marketing is actually a really great sign because if you're frustrated that you're not getting the results that you want, if you score yourself perfect on every scale, then it's kind of like, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing everything that the best I could possibly do it. And so there's probably nothing else I can improve in order to, to grow. And so maybe my show just has no potential for growth. Whereas if you realize like, oh, I'm not doing any of these things, I'm doing terrible at all of them. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I have a ton of ideas on things I can do that every time I, I do another one of these improvements, I'm gonna get more results for my show. Um, a couple final notes on when it comes to, you know, prioritizing where you focus your time. 
I would pick one category of this year's framework and, you know, spend the majority of your time focusing on that. And then kind of category by category, leveling up your marketing step-by-step step, because uh, usually it's more than just like a simple tweak here or there. And uh, so I usually kind of think about like, you know, either on a quarterly or annual basis saying like, okay, this, this quarter or this year, I'm all about exposure. So that's like going to be top of mind for me. Everything that I'm thinking about is going to be very much exposure oriented. And, you know, I'm going to make a couple other tweaks here or there, but that's where I'm focusing the majority of my time and attention. And... We have made it through to the end. And so this is uh, the year's framework. I put a page together at uh, podcastmarketingacademy.com slash creator club. And I have an audit there. So you can kind of audit your own show. And, and Bradley, I think you might have a link to it as well um, that maybe you want to post in the replay. And so you can actually go through this, a two minute quiz, and you'll get a score based on each of these categories that will assess your marketing and kind of give you some ideas uh, very similar to what we've talked through today on, on how you can improve. So thank you so much for, for bearing with me with the uh, the technical difficulties as well. I'm glad it all came through in the end. Uh, that was super informative and inspiring there, Jeremy. Thank you so much for putting this together. Um, I'm curious, your giant jump at the beginning of this year and the last year, what do you think the, like, the key thing that you tweaked, shifted, or did that led to that massive leap in, in people starting to pick up your podcast? Yeah. So, and so those were for my, I guess my two newsletters. Yeah. Uh, was, okay. Was gotcha. Email list growth in, yeah. in that. But the, so the first thing at the start, at the end of, of 2022 or whenever I did or 2021, I just started, I realized like exposure was my big gap, but also kind of attraction. And so I realized like I didn't have a really clear way to get into my email system. And so the first thing I did early in that year was created a lot more like uh, compelling lead magnets. I made my, especially my, um, scrappy podcasting newsletter way more hooky and improve the design around that. And there was all these things that I was like, I want to make this as no brainer as possible for when somebody comes across this, they're like, yes, this is the thing for me. And so part of that, I had a few free courses that I put out as lead magnets. The, the newsletter was way more compelling as well. And so that kind of first initial thing set the stage to then doing a lot more collaborations at the end of the year started to really ramp things up. And then I also added some paid advertising after that, um, which was mainly, I don't know if anybody knows Sparkloop. Uh, it's a newsletter kind of recommendation platform. Uh, works very similar to Substack, whereas when you subscribe to one newsletter, you can recommend you know other newsletters as well. And oh. so I use that both. I have people who recommend my newsletter for free now on a collaboration basis, and I do the same for them. And also you can do some paid acquisition there too. But the thing is like people think about paid advertising as this just like cure-all, but it doesn't work if you haven't done the previous steps. Like if you don't have a highly attractive offer, no matter how much money you throw at it, you're like wasting a lot of money. And so I think that's something to keep in mind. Like you always have to like set up those earlier things. And then once you have them in place, then it's like, okay, if I have a budget to start investing in this, like I'm actually going to get good results. Very cool. That's, uh, that's amazing. And do you want to talk about, you've got some stuff that's coming up that do you want to just let us know how to come deeper down the rabbit hole with you? Yeah. So uh, I've actually got a free workshop going deeper, more in depth into everything that we talked about today at the uh, the start of next month. So I think it's uh, May 2nd through 5th. I'm going to be doing a free four-day workshop. Each day will be a deep dive into one of these categories. And so we'll get a lot deeper into uh, diagnosing some of the problems, but also some of the ideas and the, the things we can put in place to actually improve there. So getting a lot more tactical than we, we did on this kind of overview session. And so uh, that you can sign up for that now. I believe Bradley has the link for that and we'll share that. Um, 
Um, I'm also in the meantime, actually just did prior to this session, I'm doing a series of roundtables uh, with um, actually Bradley, you're hopefully going to be on one later this month as well. And so each of those are also going to be kind of focused around some of these th same themes, pulling in some other really smart people in the podcasting space to talk about um, marketing in general uh, and kind of align them with each of these themes of the, the ears framework. So uh, those are both kind of some, a bunch of free events coming up. And then my um, six week live course is going to be kicking off at the start of May as well. And that's kind of the, the most intensive. Um, it's, it, it is certainly pretty intensive, but if you really want to like go through and upgrade your marketing strategy uh, in a very short amount of time, um, that's kind of my favorite way to work with people. And it's in uh, group setting, usually there's like 10 to 20 people in that group. And together, we kind of build out our marketing strategies uh, together over the course of those six weeks. So that is, is coming down the pike as well. Amazing. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking some time to come be with us today. And for everybody out there who showed up live and are checking this out in the future, really appreciate it. And looking forward to the upcoming events that you're offering. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. So yeah. Very helpful. Keep up the beautiful work. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Making Magic Podcast with your host, Bradley T. Morris from Magic Media. If you're inspired to leverage your life's work by crafting your transformational, educational, and inspirational media, thriving online community, profitable membership, or to turn your message into a movement, then head on over to magicmedia.com. That's M-A-J-I-K media.com and explore what our Creators Club or partnership opportunities have to offer you and your beautiful business.